It is uh, Friday, the 22nd of uh, May, 2020, and this is episode 34 of the uh, Luke Thomas live chat. Hi, everyone, as you can well imagine. My name is Luke Thomas. I'm the host of this program. I host a bunch of other stuff for SiriusXM and for Showtime Digital and blah, 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 blah. Let me get over here a little bit more. And uh, yeah, this is uh, my live chat here. We do uh, every Friday. Normally we do it at around, well, we used to do around noon, now three, and now 11 just today because I have to do some shooting later for another one of my jobs. Uh, But I appreciate you guys showing up. So without further ado, uh, let's get this party started, shall we? All right. Uh, as is customary, please give the video a thumbs up, subscribe to the channel. Uh, I always appreciate that when you do. Thank you very much for the folks um, who are here, who are participating, who are accommodating my schedule change. I know it's a pain in the ass, so I apologize for it, uh, but there's nothing else I could do. It was either this or at 6 p.m. at night, and uh, I didn't want to do that. So, All right, well, how was your week? I hope it's going well. Hope everything is good. Um, mine was okay, you know, about what you'd expect. And uh, ready to get this going. Okay. Um, all right. So I put the uh, thread up yesterday in the community tab. Folks always ask, how can I ask questions? Emailing me will not work. I simply cannot get to all of them. But I put a, a thread up about 24 hours ahead of time in the community tab uh, on the YouTube channel. And then you can answer questions there. If you would like to pay, you are certainly under no obligation. But if you'd like to, I will get to your questions at the end. Okay? All right. Very good. Um, I don't think there's any housekeeping notes. No. All right. Let's get to it. All right. First question. Pull this up here. Sterling versus Sandhagen. Uh, just got announced. In your opinion, should this fight be for the vacant bantamweight title? Also, how do you see this fight going? Let's start with the second one first. Uh, God, I love that fight. I love that fight between Aljamain Sterling and Corey Sandhagen. I think it is such an interesting contest. I I, uh, think very highly of both competitors. In Aljamain Sterling, you had a guy who had all the promise in the world couple of, you know, understandable stumbles along the way, but I think has absolutely, absolutely matured into a phenomenal talent. One of the best bantamweights, really well-rounded. As I mentioned, I had somebody after his last win, a very famous coach in MMA uh, who I have a friendly relationship with, text me out of the blue being like, you know, this is the guy to beat Cejudo. He really, really think highly of his his game. And, um, you know, certainly I don't know if that's true, but I, I, I think the world of his game and, and the developments he's made. And then in Corey Sandhagen, you have a guy who's like the prototype of the next version of MMA fighting where they can essentially do everything. Not really, not really good, but like, or well, I should say, but very well. And, and, and they don't silo it off. Like everything just blends together in the easiest of ways, which I think is a part that people used to get wrong. Like 15 years ago, they thought, oh, they'll be good at everything. And you can get people who are good at everything, but they have trouble blending it. Corey Sandhagen just blends everything effortlessly. Um, I rewatched his fight with uh, Rafael Sunsau for prep for my radio show, and I was just blown away at everything he could do from back-taking to you know, stance switching to finding uh, open targets on the body to, I mean, angle changing. I mean, you name it. It's just like... My God, it's effortless, you know, which also tells you that MMA coaching has gotten better. 
that you can take somebody with that short amount of training time and build them up to that if they know what the best practices are. It's kind of interesting that way. But in any event, so I really, really think highly of those two. I love the contest. They're both young. They're both capable. How do I see it going? In terms of winning and losing, I honestly, you know, I don't, I don't do predictions anymore because I'm not really good at them. And I think MMA predictions are pretty much snake oil. The thing I'd be looking for, though, the thing I'd be trying to the conditions under which I think the fight might go a certain way. I suspect Sandhagen will lead and not back up. I suspect Sterling will do that for two reasons. One, Sandhagen just really sort of dominates that space. But two, Sterling can back up and then still win and perform and strike ably. So he might just be willing to accommodate it because he still might like his chances. But if I had to guess, I'm going to guess that that's going to be a fight where you really see the full dimensions of MMA, which is to say... I don't think Sandhagen has a weakness in the ground game. I don't think that's true at all. I mean, he was able to do really well with Rafael Sunsau and threaten him with submissions and reverse position when it got bad and a lot of other things. But what I do think is true is probably that Sterling likes his chances there, or at least to mix it up. Sterling is an unorthodox grappler. He can find dominant positions quickly. He can find quick transitions to submission opportunities. Right? He doesn't sort of plod his way through control. He goes pretty quickly into dominant forms. Um, and so my hunch is that some of the fight will be spent in those two directions. And how it plays out from there, your guess is as good as mine. Now, should it be for an int- uh, for a vacant bantamweight title? Wouldn't be mad if they did it, but it just kind of feels wrong to exclude Peter Yan. So, you know, I'm not really sure what the right answer is. I thought the idea that Cejudo had of a four-man bantamweight tourney. So those three, and then who, Marais would be the last, I guess, is what you would do. Is that the idea? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to that. I mean, if they want to substitute Marais because he was just the champion and throw in, I don't know, Cody or something. I mean, that would be kind of skipping over some folks. I don't know. I mean, I guess those four would be the answer. But your three dominant forces that need to face each other are Jan, Sandhagen, and Sterling. Pretty clearly, those are the guys. So uh, this is the first step along that route. If they made it for a, a, a vacant title, great. If they didn't because they wanted to do something that incorporated Jan and brought him into the process, I'd be cool with that too. You know, Either of them would be just fine. Uh, okay, Luke, thoughts on Joe Rogan going to Spotify? <clears throat> Alex Jones, who gives a fuck, referred to this as Joe Rogan going to war with censorship. Is this him sensationalizing the situation? What do you think? Or does he have something considering YouTube have deplatformed and demonetized certain content? Well, first of all, as I understand it, the clips that Rogan has, not the full show, but the clips will still go on YouTube. So he's not like abandoning the platform, number one. Number two, I would really encourage you not to listen to Alex Jones ever, which isn't to say that he doesn't have a point on occasion. But if he does, someone more sensible with less of an axe to grind in a weird direction is going to give you better information about it anyway. And probably not try to sell you coronavirus curing toothpaste. Just a little, little recommendation for me to you. I mean, look, there's a lot of ways to look at this. Dude, Joe Rogan is an incredible guy for a lot of reasons. Um, dude, every, the guy's got the Midas touch, man. I mean, everything he touches turns to freaking gold. Um, he got involved in a sitcom news radio that I'm sure paid dividends in some of his bills. For a very long time, he's had a really successful career in stand-up comedy. He followed his passion through mixed martial arts and then the martial arts prior to that with Taekwondo and obviously he got into jiu-jitsu and then took that into one of the most, 
certainly a lucrative gig, but you know, a dream gig and having to call uh, the best fights of his generation um, from the best seat in the house, basically. And then just sort of dicked around by his own admission, starting a podcast uh, that was sort of, you know, low budget kind of thing in my house. And it turned into this, like it's incredible, you know, <laughs> if you've tried any media ventures, if you're like most people, uh, most of them either have modest success or fail. And if you get lucky and have one that goes really well, well, God bless you. I mean, this guy just can't in all these different sectors of uh, either entertainment or broadcasting or, you know, on screen talent, just everything he touches ends up doing really well. And then part of that is also the fact that he has this sort of uh, halo around him where uh, he's able to provide um, friends, yes, but also, a, you know, one, I think it was Aaron Bronstetter who said this on Twitter yesterday, was really, or the other day, it was really astute observation, which was um, the guy through the Rogan podcast has lifted the visibility of a lot of like subject matter experts or otherwise interesting people talented comedians to the to the to the front and uh you know without any expectation of like reward for it just as a way to elevate the profile of interesting and talented and otherwise hardworking people which is a really incredible thing to do now candidly i don't listen to the podcast all that much because there's just too much of it i've made this point very explicitly i'll catch it on occasion you know when they have the right kind of uh opportunity and i have a break in my schedule i mean i've listened to a podcast honestly in weeks any of them because i've just been so busy doing other things so uh, and, and not just his, I mean, any podcast I have not listened to because uh, it's been kind of a, a, you know, a draining couple of weeks here. Um, so in that sense, and him, you know, listen, I don't think he was financially destitute before, but if the reported figures of 100 or 150 million are correct, he has set up his family for generations to be, uh, you know, I won't say worry-free, but worry-free as it relates to financial constraints. So... You know, you just got to commend the guy, right? I mean, it's pretty goddamn incredible what he is able to do. It really is, you know, and they're all passion projects to a large extent. Stand-up comedy, MMA, podcasting, they all were sort of like born out of uh, a willingness to just do things he liked. Um, and they all kind of took off. Pretty amazing, right? You know, how many of us can say that? Uh, the only concern I would have, and it would not be a criticism of Joe, because I think, you know, securing the bag um, for generations of your family is something you're going to have to do. Plus, they did not buy outright the content. They're kind of like renting the content, which I think is the right move by Joe, keeping control of it. You know, when the deal expires, you could take it somewhere else if you wanted. Uh, rather, sort of paying attention to what Spotify is doing, I worry a little bit that they might be trying to monopolize the podcasting side of the industry. You know whether or not there are any concerns about censorship as it relates to YouTube and deplatforming and demonetizing. I, those are fine criticisms to make, particularly of Twitter, more so than YouTube, although YouTube as well. Um, but I doubt that that's the central motivation here. Certainly not on Spotify's account. Uh, but you're asking about Joe. Um, I think what Joe's getting out of it is the opportunity for one significant financial contribution. Two still has ownership of his content. Three. Some of it still gets to go on YouTube, so it does get, still get to cross platforms. And then, you know, the idea here is that Spotify is trying to set themselves up as the main hub for all of podcasting. Since 2014, they have purchased roughly 15 different companies in the podcast industry, either podcasting networks like Gimlet. They've purchased uh, podcasting ad uh, companies, licensing companies. They've purchased um, 
companies that work with making uh, podcasting tools for user-generated content, and they've done this. They just purchased uh, Bill Simmons' The Ringer, which has a significant podcasting network. And what it looks like they're trying to do to me is to vertically integrate. So you go to the Spotify app, not really to get all the best content. I mean, that's the idea in theory, but that along the way, uh, they have their own internal ad agency. Internally, they have their own tools for user-generated content. Internally, they have the best player for the app, right? So from the software to the licensing deal, to the uh, content of library, uh, the library content, excuse me, to every part of what goes into the podcasting business, they're trying to have dominant control in the game for it. iTunes is really not competing in the same way um, as, and it, they, they don't do the same kind of data monetization that, Spotify is doing so I worry a little bit about that because podcasting today is open like the internet used to be and now the internet is sort of controlled by dominant platforms you know I worry that we might get to that um, but you know if I was Joe would I take the deal yes I would take the deal like you know <laughs> of course you take the deal you know it's just it's just it seems like the early parts of any new invention or creation or medium and I think Tim Wu talked about this in the Master Switch. Um, there's this in initial period of boom, number of players, deep and profound entrepreneurship and um, growth. And, you know, it's just really vibrant industry. And then it just happens everywhere. It just sort of uh, closes in on a, on, a, on a series of dominant players. And that's just what it ends up being. So it seems like we're headed in that direction with Spotify. Um, lead, leading the charge. Who has a better chance at winning? Suhudo beats Volkanovski at featherweight? Oof. Or Khabib beats Usman at welterweight? Jesus. Fuck. <laughs> I don't like either of their chances, to be candid with you. Um... I guess I'd say Cejudo and Volkanovski, but that could be way off. I mean, you know, I'd pick Volkanovski and Usman in those considerations 10 times out of 10. So I guess Cejudo, because I found him to be improving over time, you know, a very, uh, it could be a business too, but a very dominant athlete, quick, well-rounded, um, Maybe some of that speed might give Volkanovski problems, you know, maybe some of the wrestling could, but in the end, it's just the size difference. And and Volkanovski's, you know, real thorough tactical know-how would get him through situations. And then Usman and Khabib, I mean, I'm sure Khabib is a force to be reckoned with even at 170, but dude, Usman is such a load, you know, and is talented and knows what he's doing and has an unending gas tank. I don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't mean, I don't really don't like either of their chances. I mean, forced to pick. I guess I'd say Cejudo, but... Uh, hi, Luke. As you work in mainstream media, why do you think it is very popular bashing mainstream media? Oh, there's a lot of good answers to this. And what can mainstream media do in response to this, if anything? For example, Trump press secretary has gained a lot of plaudits over the past weeks when burying the mainstream media. Yeah, it's also like a lazy thing to do, but even Danny got praised from a certain sector of the MMA audience for his response to the New York Times journalist. So let's, again, start backwards and work forwards. That is... So... Uh, if you actually go back and listen to what Dana said, he made a point about this guy was actually writing about Endeavor and then he kind of trailed off and then made a point that like the New York Times put up uh, a thread for results for their uh, 249 show. First of all, I guarantee that was an editorial decision beyond Kevin Draper's, number one. And number two, 
we're talking about the most circulated newspaper on earth. Like if they were interested in MMA traffic, they would go get it. They don't. Uh, or, you know, very rarely. It is very, be, uh, you know, hardly of their interest. They don't care. You know, it sucks that they don't care, but they don't care. Like that is not an argument to me at all. I mean, even understand, understand like I've been in these institutions, not New York Times, but like smaller ones that are still what you would consider mainstream. Dude, you have to beg these people to get interested in MMA traffic. And only when it just absolutely kills, you know, when Connor competes or something like that, do they go, oh, maybe there's a market here. They don't give a shit, you know. And it's nice to tell ourselves, oh, they must care. They don't care. And it sucks that they don't care. And I think they're wrong that they don't care. You have no many. You have you have no idea how many times I have fought that battle on a smaller scale at a variety of institutions. They don't give a shit. Okay, uh, you just you have to absolutely bury them with traffic for them to be like, all right, all right. There's a little something here. It's just not on their radar. You know, um, they're much more interested in mining. In the case of the New York Times, the Yankees, or you know something else. Okay, uh, and then if you look at his response, he did not respond to anything in the actual report. I actually read the article and I read the report in there. To me, it wasn't all that serious. I mean, it was not insignificant, but it wasn't like some damning... This wasn't the Wall Street Journal report about Theranos essentially being an entire fraud shell company, <laughs> right? Where you're like, holy shit, these people are all going to lose billions of dollars. I mean, that's not what this was. Basically, the article is, hey, you guys put out this 20-page report, which I read, um, and there's a lot of it you didn't adhere to. Dude, that's true. Like, it's not up for debate. Read the report, and then you can see on TV they did things they were not supposed to do in the report. Now, the truth is, remember that waiver that they made everyone sign? In the waiver, they were like, we're not a, we don't have to do anything, um, and you can't fault us if we don't. They just went ahead and did anyway. I don't think the commission was making what was in that plan a binding agreement by law. So that's why they could probably fudge it a little bit. And that's what they did. And again, dude, we, I said this on my radio show. I don't know if I've said this here, but I'll repeat it here just for the sake of, of, of argument. Maybe I said it on Morning Combat, which is if you're going to learn by doing, you got to give them a little bit of a leash. Okay, I get it. You got to give them a little bit of a leash. But at the same time, pointing out that there's not adherence to the very plan that you put forward... Like, what is wrong about that? It was matter-of-factly true. There's literally all true. Uh, now, if you want to say that the previous reports that they had about Tachi Palace and they didn't contact this hospital, okay, that's different. But that report was 1,000% on the money. And, and that's why when Dana goes after him, he just says, fuck that guy. Because you, it's like when he made the argument about why they didn't do COVID testing at UFC Brasilia and what they had planned to not do it at UFC London and they never actually address the argument. They just make a series of other arguments that try to like cover for it. It's like, dude, what are the terms of the argument? The argument is, yes, we put forth this plan, but we realize in real time, some of this stuff is unnecessary. Okay. Well then that's the argument. All right. Sounds about right. Did anybody get sick? Well, I guess we'll see in a couple of weeks, but you know, that's the argument, not fuck that guy. So when they were cheering him on, you know, it, it was telling me that they were, utterly uninterested in the facts about the case in this particular case and they were merely cheering on what you have identified which is that there is a deep-seated sentiment around um around uh, uh hatred of mainstream media organs okay so there's a lot of problems with this or a lot of reasons for this excuse me rather um let's start with the most obvious a lot of this is self-inflicted right so you have um 
you have what are supposed to be venerable institutions in major key considerations, and I'll make an easy easy one that everyone can just sort of agree with, uh, you know, in desperately getting wrong information in the run-up to the Iraq war, right? Where they were just believing without really a lot of fact-checking, um, anonymously sourced intelligence agencies or secure, national security officials claiming that X was going to happen or Y was a situation and then repeatedly none of it came true, right? None of it came true. And what happened in, as a consequence, 5,000 Americans lost their lives for nothing, right, basically, or for, for not what they said they were, at a bare minimum. And, and Judith Miller of the New York Times did this, uh, you know, um, uh, some of the stuff Robert Novak had disgracefully done before he died in the Washington Post. I mean, it goes on and on and on, right? And so you would think, okay, they would learn from this, right? They would learn to not anonymously source and then rely upon the security state for things that um, are not fully understood or well-known, and yet they continue to repeat those mistakes to this day. There's a deep uh, unreliability on a lot of different kinds of reporting that has caused people to lose trust in them. So a, a great degree of this is self-inflicted. Um, the other component here is that I think... Uh, the collapse of the advertising model has exacerbated um, like this balkanization of media where it's along lines of either interest or political affiliation. And so you have people who not only merely, you know, there's a problem with like information quality because now it's all in an echo chamber, but more than that, um, you have, you have essentially you have like a right wing and left wing media and then you have people who are trying to maintain something of a centrist media, but in an ecosystem where you have these polar opposites, it's almost impossible to remain in a space without either side accusing you of uh, not maintaining the actual factual standard you're holding yourself to. And so as a consequence, um, there's just this battering of these institutions for not really their own obvious failures, but for a lack of what they would consider um, you know, factual fealty. I mean, there was a, a report that came out in uh, the Rand, the Rand Corporation put out one about, you know, we, we, like, if you, I've said this before, if you ever like sat on a jury, the first thing they do after they pick you and you sit on the jury is you, you get assigned a case. And then in the opening statements, they essentially read you and give you what the facts are of the case, right? So the prosecution and the defense have a agreed upon set of facts upon which this case will be tried. Now, you can interpret those facts a certain way, but these are the facts. And now we are dealing with an information ecosystem that is so balkanized that it sways and skews perception, but also that we cannot even have a set of agreed upon facts. And so for those who are trying to maintain now that standard in this fraying situation, when they already have repeated failures to this, uh, it only exacerbates the cause. And so I think, um, you know, some have a real jaundiced view of media in the sense that they think that they're out to just ruin everybody and destroy everything and whatnot. And, you know, what's really sort of ironic about that is not to say that those charges aren't wholly untrue, but rather that they make those charges about mainstream media organs and then they go to a media organ that is even far more unreliable as a consequence. And it's that pivot that is really kind of strange, but it happens enough where you have to take it seriously, you know? So, um, there's a lot of uh, different reasons for it, but 
but I think, you know, I try to do this inside of MMA, which is, you know, I've said it before, I'll say it again, MMA media does not like to have a look in the mirror and reflect upon why it's viewed the way that it's viewed. Yes, when Dana White gets out there and badmouths them, that does not help the situation, and a lot of that is unfair and ridiculous. And again, I mean, he's resorting to, like, third-grade nonsense where, you know, he's talking about, a, like, people's physical appearances. I mean, if, if you have to do that, as fun as that might sound, Dude, you are surrendering the argument, and you're tricking like low-information idiots. But no one who thinks clearly looks at that and says, "Oh wow, like wow, he really made a great point." He, he, he didn't make any point. He didn't address the facts of the case as they are, and uh, so that's bad. But at the same time, it's like, dude, you bootlick constantly. You trade truth for access. Um, any number of other failures you want to get out there and then they don't want to acknowledge that that feeds into their perception of how they get of how they get made and and you have you know the, everyone's going to make errors I, I said it last week I think I, you know you I had to really rethink um the information coming out of Florida regarding their COVID outbreak everyone said it was going to be the worst and it wasn't okay well that's a problem that's a problem. So why isn't it the case? Now, still, we're a little bit. We don't. We don't know exactly because is it the warm weather? Well, no. I mean, it's going crazy in Brazil. Did people just take it upon themselves and not the government uh, decrees? So maybe that's it. You know, there's a lot of different things. I mean, they were better about not shifting shifting people uh, um, in dangerous situations who are otherwise in nursing homes. They did that better than New York. Okay, so there's there are some traceable reasons. But you know, you have to stop for a second and say, well, okay. If you thought that and it was wrong why don't repeat that mistake again and then acknowledge it up front so here i am for the second week in a row acknowledging it up front um uh still i don't know why i mean i tend to think that DeSantis got more lucky than good but maybe not right you know we'll have to see so there's a lot of different reasons but read that rand report they go into the full detail of how all of this happened rand corporation luke i enjoy when you insult other people's musical tastes or lack thereof especially brian's he has decent taste it's just not mine Thriller, License to Ill, and Ten. Dana White's top three albums of all time. Thoughts? Um, thriller, great. Ten, great. I'm not going to make a comment about the quality of the Beastie Boys. I'm not going to do that because I realize that would be uh, totally heretical. They don't do anything for me. You know, when they're talking about stir-frying you in their walk... I get that they play a pivotal role inside hip hop. I understand. I'm not. I'm not here. I'm not here to take it away from you. It just ain't for me. Uh, but that was not the worst of it. There's a. There's a. There's a. There's a Godsmack video. I think. I think the song is literally called "Crying Like a Bitch." You know what? I think I can pull it up. Where they've got UFC highlights running through it, which they got approval from um, UFC to do. I mean, it is the dumbest fucking shit on earth. You will cry like a bitch. I mean, does everyone talk like they're 14 and, you know, drinking rock star energy drink? Yeah, here it is. 38 million views, bro. Let's see if I can show you. Let's see. Yeah. I mean, just look at this. Struck. Oh, you tough guy? You super tough? Well, the fighters are. And then, look, uh, hold a sec. Oh, look at this. Wait, 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 wait. Look, my man, why are your hands taped? <laughs> you ain't shit. Why are your hands taped? 
By the way, I'm told this dude is like 5'4", by the way. You know, just, I mean, it, and also, dude, if you wear a hat that goes over your fucking ears, can you get a more appropriate size fitting hat? I mean, what are we doing here, guy? Are you an adult? I mean, just come on. Let's, 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 I mean, it's just, what is this nonsense? Oh, the old trap bar deadlift. Was there any weight on that thing? Let's see. Cleaning. So what do we have here? Yeah, it's not bad. Not sure how much the hex bar weighs, but bro, look at this. Isn't this hilarious? Wow. You were crying like a bitch, y'all. Oh man, they're tough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, here are just dudes who just didn't get enough hugs as kids, basically. What are you gonna do? Uh, all right. Rank these fighters in order, starting from the one who has the best chance at beating John Jones. Has the best chance. Okay, so DC at heavyweight, Stipe at heavyweight, Francis at heavyweight, Israel at light heavyweight. Ooh, that's a good question. Okay, y'all are going to say I'm wrong. I'm going to go Israel at light heavyweight. I'm going to go Stipe at heavyweight, Francis at heavyweight, DC at heavyweight. Something like that. People were, uh, I saw the comments, people were like, oh, Luke wants John to fight Francis because he wants John to get knocked out. I actually favor John to win that. I know some of y'all just, like, <laughs> MMA news between anyone who has any kind of public visibility, and I have very little, but I have some, they make it all about a function of, like, petty beefs. Like, do you, I just want to see a good fight, which, by the way, I mean, I favor John to win, but I don't know that. You know, I mean, obviously Francis is a tremendous force of nature but I think people don't understand how like what makes John good today is the kind of thing that could give Francis trouble tomorrow um at least in theory right I guess we never know but it's actually Adesanya I think I would favor to win okay what is your opinion on Anthony Smith saying he has an agreement with his corner such that they can never throw in a towel it seems strange to me that any respected cornerman would agree to such a thing Anything that can happen in a fight, or is this Smith's way of covering for them? No, I don't think he's covering for them. I believe him. I don't think I don't take Smith for a liar. You know, so I put out the video yesterday. We'll talk about it in just a second. But to answer the question more directly, I mean, so Anthony works at um, SiriusXM. Every time I've had a conversation with Anthony, I have come away with the opinion that he is such a, a great guy and a guy of high character, and none of that changes as a consequence of this. Remember, you want to convince people to change. You have to really understand why they're doing that. So I don't know if you know, I think SiriusXM is still free till the end of the month. If you sign up now for free, you can go into the archives and you can hear, he did a whole two-hour show on this, Anthony Smith, with RJ Clifford, and he talked about it. And what you pick up on when you hear him say, because remember what he said, he said, you know, I believe in stopping fights. He even tells a story that one of his best friends, I think it was the best man at his wedding, he actually, Anthony, cornered him for one of his regional fights, that guy's regional fights, and then stopped it because um, he was it was going south pretty quickly, and the referee was not intervening. So he's like clearly of the belief that corners can stop fights, they should stop fights. It's a good practice that you know the referee is tasked with this, but the system works better when people intervene. And so you say, well, wait a second, okay, if you believe all these things which sounds great, right? Why would you not 
apply that to yourself, knowing that the, this is the way that it has to work at scale for, for all of, for, for us to have a better chance at safety. And part of the answer that he gives, and it was profoundly illuminating, and I never really considered it this way before, was that when he competes, he is competing for a lot of different reasons. And a big one is obviously the things you might expect, money, career advancement, you know, joy, like fun. But another one was he wants to compete under those particular terms where he does not allow his corner to intervene. Um, and he wants to win or lose strictly by his own merit because he is tugging at a string that speaks to the, like, like, like winds into the center of the core of who he is in terms of his identity. Like when he looks in the mirror and he saw missing teeth or, you know, that eye that was all swollen, I bet he still recognizes himself, which is to say, if he let the corner intervene and sort of save him as he would, I think, potentially frame it, he would not be competing under the terms of his own identity. Like, in other words, he has a he has a conception of self, and that conception of self requires certain things happening in his life and certain rules about his own actions governing them uh, to make them possible. And if those conditions aren't in place, he is not being either what he wants to be or who he is. It's really not being true to himself. Like. This is what I mean. Like, if you try to make an argument with people like who 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 take it to heart in this way, I mean, he didn't say it exactly this way. I want to be clear. I'm 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 sort of uh, not merely paraphrasing, but kind of um, digging a little deeper beyond that. But it, it sort of occurred to me that like there's very much something much deeper at play than just I don't think I should be subject to these rules. When you when you think about that, like when someone can tell you there should be all this health and safety except for me, it's not because he thinks he's exceptional and, and special and better than everyone. It's actually not that at all. It's that uh, what he wants out of this experience has to be guided, according to him, by a certain set of rules. And those rules are about who he is and how he wants to operate in the world and how he wants to be seen by himself and how he understands himself and the struggles that he's in. That's why when he says, you know, I put myself in that position, he's talking about that in a very, not really a literal way, but a deeper and profounder way. And uh, I'm not saying he wouldn't compete if, you know, uh, the corner decided to throw, I mean, you know, or, or the, you know, some kind of rule was changed where he couldn't do this anymore or something like that. I'm not, I'm not suggesting as much, but rather people are just speaking about the policy prescription he is offering. I don't want to be subject to these rules. And they're saying, or these, these, these expectations or customs, right? Because you don't have to throw the towel if you're a corner. And they're saying, oh, this is ridiculous. And yes, I mean, there's, I can't justify that, and I'm not trying to. But this is what I mean when I try to say to people, like, to really understand and defeat an argument and to, dude, you know how hard it is to change someone's mind? It's very difficult to change someone's mind. And there's all kinds of studies about how you can present all the evidence in the world and they don't want to change it. Uh, so I do worry that it will take something catastrophic in the sport to change people's perceptions of this because I think they're relying on a certain set of assumptions about the risks as it pertains to them that is not quite realistic or rather that even if they don't want the corner to intervene on their behalf, they realize that, you know, you can't have a sport where 
at scale, people just say, it's okay if I die through competition and I prevent people from taking steps to stop that. Like that's not, you actually can't have a sport that way. It doesn't work, right? Um, so it's not the policy prescription that I agree with him here. I, I certainly do not. But if you want to change, uh, I think, Smith's ideas about this, who is a smart, capable, 31-year-old experienced veteran who is not a bad person, who is not an idiot, who is not you know incapable of understanding these, you need to go to where he is first. And when you understand that a lot of what he does through competition is a function of identity and that the rules in place have to be there for that identity to be understood and realized, uh, then and only then can you begin to make any headway about it. It's so much deeper than just I should be exempt. It's not, it's not that. It's not that at all. Um, and how you change that, I don't know. Again, I think a catastrophic event might go some way towards helping that. Um, but I think you have to ask him why identity would be tied to those considerations. Why can't you have identity outside of them? And I think that's sort of a deeper and, and harder conversation to have. But this is what I mean. Like, you know, just browbeating Mark Montoya is not going to get you anywhere. Browbeating James Krause, you might hear my kid, is, is not going to get you anywhere. Browbeating Anthony Smith is not going to get you anywhere. They're just going to circle the wagons. So how do you do it? You're just going to shame them? Everyone's answer is just shame. Just shame them. I'm not saying agree. Explicitly, I'm telling you, I do not agree, matter-of-factly. I don't think it's a, it's a very bad idea, matter-of-factly. On the other hand, um, what goes into it? Now, the only thing I will say that I thought Smith needs to sort of connect the dots on here a little bit more, he had said in that same radio show that, um, you know, he felt bad that his corner was put in this position and that they were getting all this heat. And I'm like, but they're getting that heat because they were put in that position. Now, I'm not saying that they would have thrown it had he never put those parameters uh, on the on the corner to not throw or to uh, before the fight. If there was never a consideration, am I saying that Mark Montoya 1,000% or James Krause 1,000% would have thrown? I don't know. Um, but, you know, certainly you can say if you don't even allow them the option and they therefore do not do it, you know, you're not putting them in a winnable position. You're not putting them in a position to either help you or help themselves. And so that the, the two are naturally connected there. Um, the last thing I'll say is I did this on the – um, I'll put the video up um, a little bit later – I did a video yesterday. I'll, I'll link it up rather a little bit later. I did a video sort of going through, looking at the numbers here a little bit. Smith had the most amount of output he's ever had in the first and second rounds of this about with Teixeira that he had had in any other round in his UFC or Strike Force career. That was the most output ever. He had one round where he had 80, but this time in a previous fight, this time he had 92 and 82. Uh, and so the, the parts about his corner just going balls to the wall, that part I think is actually pretty interesting. I don't know what the right answer is there. Um, I take DC's criticism there to be probably pretty, pretty, pretty right, but that's an interesting one to me. It's like you got these fights with Smith and, uh, excuse me, with Jones and now Teixeira where you've got two rounds that go pretty well and then it falls off a cliff and there's a slight rebound later, but not enough to get back to where he was. The part I had about intelligent defense was um, you know, Anthony made a point. It's like that fight was actually stopped right on time. It was stopped when it was supposed to. And if you notice something, Smith has gotten really, really good at when a fight goes south, he can take it to the point where you're very close to a stoppage, but not close enough. And he can, he can kind of hang out there and he can maintain. 
and it's bad down there. It's really bad down there. And if you do that long enough, it has this accumulative effect of being like really bad. But in each individual instance, he is clearly following instruction. My kid is just having a day. He is clearly following instruction the whole way through. Um, so, uh, I mean, barely at times, but he's doing it. He's moving. He's shrimping. He's he's framing. He's grabbing. He's holding. He's going to his base. He's got this like from turtle. This really good survival, like. He, he, Eduardo Tellus is this guy who has something called Turtle Guard, where he had this whole system based out of Turtle. Smith has this position from Turtle, where so that's where he's on his knees, and then his chest is on his knees, and he's either got two on one on one hand, or he's covering with one, or he, at times he'll shrimp back to face a guy and underhook or whatever, and they'll hide underneath sometimes from deep half. But it all starts in that Turtle position. So, so here's the problem: intelligent defense is supposed to tell us that someone underneath or in a bad position is not responding with anything other than sort of like what anyone would do without training. They're not making decisions. They're not listening to instruction. Well, Smith was doing all those kinds of things, and yet I also think the fight went on way too long. So what's the problem here? The problem is uh, intelligent defense, I think, is a very good standard the majority of the time, the overwhelming majority of the time. But the, you're starting to see that everyone is finding every little inch of that octagon and every different phase of a fight. And now you're starting to see fighters, in the case of Smith, who's a very good fighter who wins, you know, uh, a significant amount of the time and is very high level. But when things go bad against someone who's having a better night, um, they have a little bit of trouble putting him away because he has such a great ability to hang on. But he hangs on not in like a neutral space. He hangs on in a bad space, but he can just find a way to prolong it. That's interesting. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Um, and it calls into question not the intelligent defense standard in totality, but in what do you do now when there's just this, you know, minute after minute after minute after minute after minute of badness that doesn't really ever cross into anything for a long stretch. But when it adds up, there's missing teeth and then a broken eye sock or, you know, broken nose or whatever. To me, there should be a greater, uh, 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 there should be more fleshing out of what's happening there. Money fights. So basically no money fights in the UFC or boxing. And so we have full live gates again. Don't believe the fucking hype. In in uh, boxing, who knows, right? I mean, they're talking about, I heard even Showtime might be having, uh, it was reported in September. They might have a Leo Santa Cruz um, pay-per-view against, um, God, I haven't, I haven't slept. What's his name? The, the Mayweather donk. Um what who got in trouble for hitting his girl? Uh, uh, Tank Davis, Javonta, uh, Javonta uh, Davis. So I don't know if that's going to happen. Like, is Canelo going to come back if there's no gate? Bud Crawford has talked about there's no gate. Y'all, do not believe the nonsense that the UFC is not paying more right now because it's a pandemic. When we had every other situation, when there was no pandemic, a good economy, brand new deal with ESPN at any moment in time you want to say uh there was no pandemic and there was just you know good times were to be had they were make telling fighters the exact same thing guys people seem to think we don't have good information about how much money the UFC makes because it's a private company I cannot overstate this enough uh, it's not possible to overstate this because of the class action attempted lawsuit against the UFC, there is a treasure trove of information 
not in totality, but for a big swath of their career up until and through, to a degree, the sale of the UFC. And what it shows consistently over time is that the UFC pays somewhere between 16 to 18% of gross revenue to the fighters. They count it as 20, but they also count um, 2% of that, which is roughly anti-doping costs as fighter compensation. Okay, we know for a fact. Now that means if you make $100 and you get 18%, you get $18. If I make $200 and you get 18%, well now you get double that, so you're up to 36. So pay is going up, but it's going up but in aggregate, it's not going up in terms of percentage. In fact, there's an argument to be made it might actually be going down. Um, more recent data in the last couple of years, we do not actually have. So potentially they've completely changed their business model. But what you see consistently over time is that the pay structure for the UFC is really formulaic. This idea that like managers go in there and bang their fist down the formica and get something brand new for their client we have emails to suggest them trying this kind of thing and what they end up getting is a little bit of a bump but then a new contract that just extends their stay and it's all you see it over and over and over and over and over again dude this is in the books this is documented you can go read it for yourself it is there people seem to think it's not there it's there this is why people have cast doubt about to what extent mcgregor's making you know 80 million certainly he's making tens of millions you know is the question 80 okay but separate conversation you can see this over and over and over and over again. The reason why they don't want to pay Jones or Francis has fuck all to do with the pandemic. I'm sure it makes things a little bit more difficult, but they were never getting gate receipts to begin with. We know from Moody's report that came out last week, it's 12% of the UFC's uh, business. Uh, and so um, that's not insignificant, um, but it's not crippling either. Um, even when time was good, they didn't do it. They didn't do it. They don't want to be leveraged so that if someone gets uh, makes a demand and the UFC meets it, now everyone else behind them can go and do it. That's why they don't do it. And they can simply say, we won't have Francis versus John. We'll just find something else. Don't believe that the lack of a gate has anything to do with a lack of super fights on the UFC side. In Bellator, to the extent they can make one, your guess is as good as mine. Uh, boxing, uh, who the fuck knows, right? I mean, it's hard to say. But in UFC, not it. They they have a formulaic way of structuring pay, and they have a they have a, a line in the sand that they don't want to cross, and that's what this is about. And maybe you think that they should keep that. Maybe you think fighters should only get eighteen percent. Maybe you feel like, um, maybe you feel like that you know asking for a raise uh, just to change weight classes is not the right thing, fine, then make that argument, but do not make it, I mean, I still think that's wrong, but it, it's not about the pandemic. It's got nothing to do with it. Don't let them tell you that, don't believe that, because whenever they had a chance to do it any other time, they did the exact same thing. It's a convenient scapegoat. It is not, in fact, at all evidenced by what we have seen in the documentation. It is there for your viewing. You can go and, and you can literally verify to the letter Everything I am telling you, it is public record. Public record. Go look at it. It's all there. And it is, it is, it is highly illuminating. So, nonsense. Um, how good was Hickson Gracie? He's sometimes referred to as the undisputed best BJJ guy ever based on stories from reliable people, I guess. But does he deserve the MJ-like reverence? No, I don't think so. I mean, Keenan Cornelius got into a ton of trouble about this. Um, because he was like, 
you know, obviously Hickson's good, but if you tried to use that skill set to compete with modern jiu-jitsu, he wouldn't do very well. Uh, or he would do well, but up to a certain level. I think it was like purple or brown, you know, at a high elite world level. Uh, people, you know, I'll leave that, uh, whether it's purple, brown, or black, I'll leave that to Kenny Cornelius. I don't know if that's true, but it's pretty obvious, like, jiu-jitsu has rapidly evolved, and the techniques that are so much better now, or at least, you know, part of a, a more modern game, like, literally didn't even exist back in the day. Jiu-jitsu also used to be a different thing when he was part of it. It had a much, you know, deeper connection to actual fist fighting, self-defense, dojo storming, family growth, and promotion, um, obviously, as an MMA fighter in his time, he had, you know, lights out jujitsu for that. But, you know, it's just sort of like comparing eras. Um, you know, I don't... I, for his time, he was an absolute beast. For his time, there's no denying the impact that he had, which is why people talk about him with such reverence. But do I really, in my heart of hearts, believe that that horse stomp to close distance and that his wrestling that is as it existed when he fought Nobuhika Takata and his jiu-jitsu as it existed would do really well in modern UFC. I don't believe that for two seconds. I don't believe that at all. So call me a heretic if you like, but, you know, and, and, and how could it? Like the techniques had not been invented. Best practices on strength and conditioning had not been developed to the point that they are now. Understanding of the game of MMA hadn't developed. I mean, either either the fight game has moved along or it hasn't. Um, you know, and we're talking about a, we're talking about twenty years ago. I mean, in twenty years, think about how much martial arts has advanced in terms of what we know works and doesn't. Should the UFC be asking fighters to take fights on essentially a week's notice for T Wood T Wood versus Gilbert card? I don't mind them asking. Right? I mean, look, everyone's gonna have a different answer to this. Right? Do I mind them asking to do this? Do I mind them asking? No, I don't mind them asking. I think it's perfectly fine to ask on by the same consideration. If the fighters decided that, that was something they didn't want to do, I would totally understand it. If, on the other hand, they got bills to pay, or they generally like their chances in terms of safety, or um, you know, like to, to, to travel and you know to be tested and things like that. Right? If they gen if they genuinely feel like um, I'm actually pretty well trained. I, I don't I can get there by car, for example, or something. Uh, and I feel good to get there. I like my chances to win this fight. And they want to say yes. Uh, and the state is sanctioning it. And the UFC is doing protocol. Again, you're, you're taking a risk. I don't know that it's going to work out for everyone's benefit. There could be a way that this all backfires. But I'm not going to be overly judgmental about that on an individual fighter circumstance. You, you could kind of understand that. I think where it gets a little bit dicey is when they don't want to fight and they don't feel it's safe and then they still go have to do it. Or um, if someone knows they've been exposed to someone with COVID and, um, uh, and they don't tell anybody or if they haven't been able to train but they're broke and so now they have to fight to get money. Well, that's not great, right? That's sort of what I'm talking about with trying to relieve pressure on the people until the gyms reopen in any kind of significant way and then giving them a stipend in the meantime. Um, but... You know, that doesn't appear to be all that likely or possible. So, do I do I mind the UFC trying? I mean, there's going to be people who are ready and willing and able to go. So, I don't think asking is a problem. It's just, what do you do with all the other in-between situations? And that's where it gets a little bit dicey. All right, someone says, picture this scenario. You are an MMA fighter. You worked your whole life for an opportunity to fight for a championship. Now that moment is here. You're in the locker room prepping for the biggest fight of your life. A referee walks into the room to go over the rules with you one more time. You know, 
this referee will oversee your fight. The question is, what referee would you be happy to see in that moment, and which would you be uh, make you unhappy? Um, I'm not all that picky. I'd say, um, like active referees. You know, um, Josh. I thought Josh Rosenthal is a great referee. I think Mark Goddard is a great referee. I think. Um, you know, Big John has done some great work. Uh, you know, Herb has certainly had his issues. I don't deny, but I think in general that job is more difficult than we really understand. And so I also think he's had a series of great stoppages too. I'm not really all that picky in terms of the main ones. The ones I'd be concerned with, um, you know, the ones who are on local levels that kind of fuck up. Um, like you go to like, they're like, oh, we're going to UFC Nebraska and there's a donk there you've never seen and then they stop it really. The real bad ones like John Shorely don't do it anymore. That would be terrible. Um, I would be very concerned in that sense. But generally, I just would not want a regional level guy to do it. In general, beyond that, I'm not all that picky. So it says, being a former vet as yourself, the going out on the shield argument shouldn't be for ring combat, only armed forces. Well, I don't actually have a shield either. Should Anthony Smith have joined the army? <laughs> you know, some people make a big deal about them, so they, they, they calling themselves warriors. You know, it's like, well, if you're really a warrior, you would go to war. And it's like, well, first of all, some of them do, uh, number one. Number two, it's like, dude, they're going to, I mean, of all the shit fighters say that I don't like, you know, <laughs> calling themselves warriors is not, is like, I don't give a shit. I, I mean, these guys have to go fight in a cage for a living. They got to tell themselves something to put themselves in a position to win and not get hurt. If calling themselves warriors does that and they can go feed their family off of it I don't cool no worries someone please explain the value in UFC building Apex the Performance Institute and Fight Island when they can't afford uh, a revenue split with fighters or big money fights well they can afford it they just don't want to here's the answer because if they have the apex, they have control quite literally, and not to borrow from the economic phraseology, but they literally have control of the means of production, right? They own the facility, they have the camera equipment, they have the employees to operate it, they have the, um, the software, uh, not the software I should say, but the, the platform, the video platform to then broadcast it. They just need the fighters at that point, but they own virtually every other piece and that we talked about Spotify and the vertical integration, all that vertical integration that they own. The Performance Institute, I think, is a thing that they developed because it really helps their fighters maintain a degree of healthiness. Uh, over time, I, the idea would be, you know, uh, weight cutting. It, it looks pretty good to, for them to, you know, to, to have this as like a goodwill gesture. Fight Island, again, they're going to, if not own the island, they're going to own every other piece. The fighters will have no control over it. And so that's why they don't have a revenue split. If you don't have to, like, and think about it this way. I've made this point before. They, they had a, initially a five-year, $1.5 billion deal with ESPN. Now, I got upgraded to, two, to uh, two more years, to seven years. And we don't actually know how much more value was added on top of that, maybe, maybe up to $2 billion or more. Okay? I mean, I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. But let's just say for the moment we had that five-year, um, $1.5 billion deal. If you had... If you do the math on this, and again, if they had a union, there's a lot of evidence to suggest the union would not necessarily be able to get them 50% of revenue, like 50 to the owners, 50 to the fighters. But it would probably be a lot more than they get now. 
But let's imagine they were able to do something where, you know, you couldn't get more out of sponsors because the Reebok deal they wouldn't budge on or, you know, something. But they gave up half of the TV money. You might say it's unrealistic. I'm just making a point. Even if they got no other change in compensation and they just got the fighters half of the TV money, if the math works out right and you have around 500 fighters, that means uh, I think every year for five years, let's say for Christmas, every fighter on the roster would get $125,000 every year for five years, right? Not including any purses, not including any um, you know, ad stuff, not including any pay-per-view points, nothing, just on TV revenue. They could then decide, hey, do I want to fight in a pandemic or do I not want to fight in a pandemic? The model about getting these guys eager to take these risks. I saw a survey today. I think it was Gallup had done a survey. Um, how many Americans think it's safe to fly? And the answer was 74% thought it was unsafe. Right, So three out of four Americans does not believe that it is safe. And if you look at the fighter population, I bet it would be the exact opposite. You know, you're talking about people who are forced to take a series of risks, or at least economically incentivized to take a series of risks that are far outside of what the mainstream is by virtue of not having, call it what it is, you know, financial liberty in many cases. And you, know, you could say, oh, John Jones is a millionaire. However much money he's made, I guarantee you he's not gotten a fraction of. I say the same thing for Conor McGregor. However much money Conor McGregor has made, I bet you it's a fraction of what he'd be entitled to in a different economic arrangement, given if there were some constraints about the share between promoter and fighter. It'd be totally different. It'd be totally different. Um, so that's why they can't do the revenue split, is because all the money that would otherwise go to a revenue split goes to these things. It's like billionaires who want to avoid taxation. And we can have a conversation about what the appropriate level of uh, you know 1% taxation looks like. But the reality is, where do you get more money from? Them donating to charity, which makes them look good and is a, you know, is a nice gesture, or from a, a coherent tax policy that then draws upon their wealth? And the answer is clearly you're going to get more from taxation, right? So if you just wait for uh, elites to give you generosity, chances are you're not going to get that much relative to what you could compel them to get. Um, so that's why you have Fight Island because there's no revenue split. You have the PI because there's no revenue split. You have the Apex. I mean, for it's for many other reasons too, but one of them would be that they don't have to share upwards of thirty percent of their other 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 revenue, uh, or, or excuse me, an additional thirty percent of the overall total of revenue, right? So if they're if it'd be fifty fifty, and we know they're getting twenty, so that means there's a, there's a gap of thirty percent. That the UFC's taking eight out of every ten dollars, four out of every five. That is a lot. That's how you can afford all these other things and to have snow shipped to your driveway um, so your kids can sled on it, right? I mean, this is how it, that's how that becomes possible. Although, in fairness, Bob Arum has a, that kind of a split, and he's still filthy rich. So, last one of these, and I will switch to the uh, the paid questions here. Um, why is stance switching so much more common in MMA than in boxing? The boxers that do it are typically effective, but a wider range of MMA fighters utilize it. Um, it's harder to do in boxing. So here's why. Uh, remember what I said, said this before. Go back and look at my uh, Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder 2 breakdown. There was a big point that I made in it, which is if you look at boxing, really tiny changes carry major consequence, right? Huge consequence. 
So what ends up happening is uh, when you stance switch, certain guys can do it. Hagler was, was capable of doing it. Lomachenko can do it. I mean, there's many that can sort of do it a little bit. Um, and in MMA, there are guys who do it a little bit. Like uh, Poirier will stance switch uh, through like distance closing, but he doesn't just like spend a bunch of time in an opposite stance. Some guys do, like Max Holloway. Anyway, but the reason why is because um, just to get one stance right in boxing where the tiniest detail that you get wrong can really fuck you up, it is even harder to get a second one right, right? I mean, the defense is much harder. Your offense is often as good or you know, pretty close to as good in, a, in your opposite stance. But your, your, your margin for error in boxing is very, very small. It's very small. And if you, you know, just in one stance, it becomes hard enough to, to do it. Now, you might say, well, these guys in MMA are really good strikers. They are. But understand something about MMA striking. It was made in, in the uh, Rashad Holloway did a good job of making this point. Namely, that um, MMA is so much more wide open. There are so many other weapons. There's so many other things to look for. It's just impossible to get like super refined good at it. You just don't have, there's no, no, no person could. They couldn't be expected to. Now, you can get really, really good, really good, but you can't get like crazy, amazing, out of this world good at it because you have to train all these other things. So you have many more weapons wide open to you. Um, uh, but n none of them are as you know super refined as they could be. So you can switch stance, uh, and now you added an offensive threat, and you do have defensive liabilities. Like if you're not good in it, someone will, will, will crush you for it. But I don't think you're under the same kind of consideration for any tiny detail you get wrong there will mess you up. It doesn't work that way in MMA. So um, Plus a lot of guys are sort of starting out now, like just playing around with it, and they're just growing up through their teens, switching stances, because they don't need to make sure they get one stance so right that, you know, you know, dude, pro boxers, I mean, understand something about pro boxers. Dude, they're hard to hit. They're hard to make contact with. Uh, and they're that way because they have mastered distance and angles and timing and defense. You know, to do that with one stance is very difficult. To do that with two, hard. All right. Let's go to what you guys have to say here. All right, Steve says, hi, Luke. Consider this is, oh, here, one more time. I'm going to put the old subscribe button up. You know, fucking subscribe, man. I'm trying to get these subscriber numbers up. The ad rev during the, I'll, give, I'll pull back the current a little bit. The ad rev during the pandemic has been okay. A little bit of a hit, not terrible. But the fucking subscriber count has been crushed, man. My my month over month subscriber count since the uh, pandemic hit has been um, cut in half. So like whatever I was getting for a month, I was I was I'm getting like one half of X. Now I'm hoping that will turn around here, uh, but you know. By the way, I also want to note like y'all can't see it; it's right here. But this TV setup I got, so. Uh, I've been saving up for that for a long time. I had to get a TV, a mobile stand, a um, I had to get Sennheiser wireless mics. I had to get an Apple TV, and I had to get a floor stand for the iPad. I had to pay for all five of that. That shit was not cheap. And I paid for it out of my pocket. That's not from Showtime. That's from me. So uh, that's what this shit goes for. Like when you donate, it goes to that. And I just collect it and collect it, collect it, and I save it. And I put it away and I was like, I only ever have this camera angle whenever I do this. I want to stop doing this. I want to have a second or even a third angle. 
I still have to get some of the camera settings right. I keep fucking that up, but I will do it. But that's what that's about. So, um, and I'm going to be using that thing all the time now. I'm going to, we're going to, we're going to, we got a, we should have a name for it. I don't know what the name should be. We should have a name for it. All right. With that being said, consider this a thank you for all the great free content. Uh, keep up the good work. So happy that the fight breakdowns are back. Yeah, exactly. Right. Some reading recommendations for Middle Eastern history would be fantastic. It's a pretty huge blind spot for me. I gave one yet last year, last week, the Dexter Filkins one. Um, Edward Said's um, uh, Politics of Dispossession. Edward Said, Orientalism is one. Um, of course, these are all going to be heavily political because that's just, I don't know how you can find Middle East reading without it, candidly. Um, let's see. da 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 Um, is this thing running? Yeah. Um, what's another one? Oh God. Uh, what's the, what's the one, you know, people are going to get on me for recommending this, but I think for most people, it'd be pretty good. Uh, let's see. And by the way, I don't buy frivolous shit, man. I'm all investing back into the workspace so I can bring you guys better content. So hold on. Bernard. Um, he's got one book that is really de deplorable, uh, but the Middle East and a brief history of the last 2000 years from Bernard Lewis is probably a decent place to start. Again, Edward Said would tell you not to listen to that recommendation, but I'm going to tell you to listen to it. All right. Other than catching him, uh, how do you think Masvidal could beat Usman? I mean, here's the thing is historically one of the problems Masvidal has had is he is really good at everything um, and maybe a specialist he might be the best boxer we have in MMA but when it comes to the wrestling and the grappling stuff he can he can defend it so he doesn't get subbed he can stop a lot of takedowns but he will just remain locked up he would have to do something in terms of creating separation that he's not done yet and um, um Yeah, I, I'm not. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. He would have to show you something he's not done yet, basically. All right. How do you think a uh, matchup between Prince Nassim Hamed and Floyd would have played out in the late '90s? Jesus, that's a great question. How old is old? I heard he. he I heard he got fat. Um, Prince Prince Nassim Hamed. He's 46 now. Wow, he's not even that old, man. He's about the same. He's about the same. Uh, about the same age, almost. Um, although he's a lot smaller than Floyd, so he was bantam, super bantam, and feather. So he would have been a lot faster, probably than Floyd. Um, but Floyd was much bigger, so I, I suspect Floyd probably would have leaned on him, kept everything close range, you know try to really uh, exploit the size difference. I suspect that's who it is. Uh, okay. Please wish a happy birthday to my wife, Anita Cox. Hi, Anita Cox. Unless this is, oh, Anita Cox. Funny, you got me. You're funny, you got me, you fucks. Pay $2 for it. All right. Why does a UFC All-Star weekend 
what does our UFC All-Star Weekend look like? Grappling tourney, regular tourney, super fights for big money, American Gladiator style, obstacle course. You know, I've thought about this. I don't know how you do it. I mean, you could do a grappling tournament. I think that's possible. But like people are like, oh, you could do like them hitting heavy bags like it was CrossFit or some shit. I don't know how you break it up. I don't know how you break it up uh, to make that work, to be quite candid with you. Unless you did the grappling that you could do. Um, and there's a couple other small things you could do, but you really couldn't make like an all-star fight. The only thing I think you could do is you'd have to have some kind of grappling tournament. Maybe have like, you know, Gordon Ryan all-stars versus somebody like sort of a celebrity kind of thing. And then have a weekend of fights where the fights are done under unusual circumstances, like a tournament, you know? But other than that, I don't think it can re be really done. Tyson to Francis. They want you to believe you are... Okay, some sort of weird racially charged question that I'm going to ignore. Good morning, Luke. I'm 100% positive Suarez will be a champion in 2021 if she... Uh, overcame her neck issues. Yeah, provided she can, but I checked in with her last month. Last month? And, uh, you know, still no timeline on her return. I, again, her healthy and being able to do what she normally does, amazing. But if, you know, you're saying if healthy, okay, but when? What do you think we are likely to see first? And is there a possibility we could... Uh, See a couple of these on one card. Connor versus Masvidal, Jones versus Francis, and Till versus Whitaker, Costa versus Adesanya. Can we have a couple of these on one card? Okay, it doesn't look like we're going to get Jones versus Francis anytime soon, so you can cross that off the list. The other ones, you could get at least two of them. You could get Connor Masvidal and then Till Whitaker, or you could get Costa Adesanya and then Till Whitaker. Or you could get Connor Masvidal and then Costa Adesanya. You could do that. I think any of them are likely or possible absent Jones versus Francis. I think all the rest are at least in play. And it looks like Costa versus Adesanya is inevitable, right? I don't know what this person's asking. And because you fuckers like to troll, I'm going to skip it. Someone says, just a fan of the show. Thank you, sir. Uh, Eddie Bravo at uh, one... A certain timestamp on the fight companion. <laughs> uh, someone's asking me about Eddie Bravo's um, praising of of Trump. You know, I generally have not found the political uh, um, preferences of Bravo's to align with mine. So I'll just leave it at that. Jesus, what the fuck is up with these questions? Uh, that's funny. All right. Conservatives are using feminism as a scapegoat and blindly blaming it for issues such as high divorce rates and fatherless children. Thoughts? Uh, I'll say this. There's this guy. Fuck, what is his name? I follow him. What is his name? Uh... followed him on a recommendation and now I can't even remember his fucking name um, he does nothing he's a political scientist I think I think out of University of Pennsylvania I could be wrong about that I don't think that's quite right but he just reads um, political science papers and what like the, the what they've discovered through research he posted one yesterday and it said that uh, electoral candidates who 
if you support a something that is uh, labeled like like you label yourself as a feminist, male or female, and then you pursue a policy agenda based on this sort of labeling that it had even across the political spectrum, like wide. Uh, wide rejection people just really did not respond well to the term but if you if you uh, supported the exact same policies by virtue of a, me- a message of inclusion so the exact same policies but a, me- a message of inclusion that there was like the the amount of uh, opposition to it utterly evaporates which tells you that there's some kind of political charging of the term relative or um, which is in, at least in sort of under most considerations, um, policy that most people do not object to. Now, I'm sure there's going to be some outliers there, but the term is 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 fucked at this point. In your opinion, what causes more controversy, a late or early stoppage? Late ones seem to raise ethical concerns about fighters' corner, whereas early ones generally tend to question the referee. So they, they, they result in different kinds of controversy. The late stoppage brings about questions of medical safety, about a person's future, about a corner, about like people's negligence. And early stoppages do that too, but the difference is that a lot of early stoppages cause secondary fights to be made. Like they'll just make a rematch. Late stoppages tend not to do that. They just tend to let that one just go. So in the sense that they can linger a little bit longer by virtue of rematches that sort of like, you know, you live to understand as a consequence of somebody fucking it up earlier, I would say that um, early stoppages might have a little bit more, but they're different kinds. If these fighters had actually won their last title defenses, who would have had the best chance next? Aldo, Cormier, Cruz, or Anderson? Wait, these fighters actually won their last title defenses. So you mean Cruz had beaten Garbrandt. Anderson had beaten... Fucking Weidman, Cormier. I'm not sure what you're asking. Who would have the best chance next? Who? Who? At what? Uh, Hooker versus Oliveira. Ooh. I'd probably say Hooker, but Oliveira's really gotten better with, um, not really striking, but, um, patiently applying it. Let's see. I heard Habib saying his dad had corona and about 20 of the Nurmagomedov clan had the virus. In fact, Dagestan had one of the worst outbreaks outside of Moscow. Yeah. Um, who was it? Uh, oh, Jesus, fuck. I can't remember anything these days. Who? This is what happens when you don't sleep. Uh, I would say, yes, Kareem Zidane had a piece about it yeah, they've had a, they've just not managed it well there and it's had a devastating effect uh, for your information New York Times subscribers includes crossword and cooking subscriptions for just news Wall Street Journal is most circulated newspaper no it is not let us look up the circulation numbers Oh, actually, you're right. Fuck. Fair point. Boy, it didn't used to be that way. Now it's changed. Oh, wait. Well, you know what? USA Today is the most circulated, so we're both kind of wrong. 
Um, but you're right. Fair enough. Fair play. I stand corrected. That's why you got to double check this shit. How, USA Today is the most... Oh, you know what? It's in every hotel room, isn't it? That's why. All right. You may have answered this already, but I'm interested in your opinion. And this is my first time back in the chat in a while. Who wins, Cejudo or Alex? Um, if, the answer, if you're asking about Volkanovski, it's got to be Volkanovski, right? We sort of started off that way. He's just too big, and he's still pretty quick, too strong, too technical. Uh, what are your thoughts on certain Premier League players saying they don't want football in England to return yet? Yeah, totally understandable, right? Some people are going to want it back, and some people aren't. Some people are going to be living at home with uh, elderly or otherwise you know, immunocompromised people. I saw there was some guy who played for... Uh, I don't know his name. I saw he played for the Wolves, and I guess he has a son uh, who, has, who has like uh, breathing problems. And he was like, fuck no, I don't want to go out there. D- dude, I get it. I completely get it. Uh, they are not under the same financial pressures, these players, that fighters are. So they're going to have a totally different calculus. Not, not, in, not in every way, but in general. Anthony Smith telling his corner to never stop a fight is bad for the sport and could cause the first death in the UFC. If I was Dana, I would cut him. I would not have a cut him, but I would have a talk with him. Uh, I've never gone through rougher times in life than now, and your content helps me cope. Is there one topic you'd like to talk to Rogan about? Yeah, I've had people write me about this, being like, you should definitely talk about X. You should definitely not talk about Y. I don't know. I mean, again, his his show, uh, conversation goes where it goes, but... um. You know, I don't really, I mean, there's some things I like discussing more than others. Fighter rights is something I like talking about. Um, You know, I like talking about anti-doping. A lot of people don't. So, I wouldn't want to talk about shit I don't care about, like trash talk or something. But everything else seems like a fair game. Thoughts on Thor versus Eddie boxing. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be stupid, but I'm going to watch. Have you watched the behind-the-scenes video from Will's Strongest Man clearly showing that Thor wasn't cheated and his complaint seems to be a way to discredit Eddie's victory? I mean, here's the thing. I remember that when it happened in real time. It was a, it was a function of where they were counting reps in the Viking press. And um, I didn't believe the controversy to begin with. I, that, that run that Eddie had was the best run of anyone in that tournament. So he deserved to win. Uh no matter what, but um, they had a like a contract agreed to right after the deadlift was done, <laughs> the 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 new one, the five hundred kilo one, five hundred one kilo, excuse me, and it was like, wait a second, y'all already had a deal ready to sign like right after it was over, and y'all are just pumping this up. Like, I do remember Eddie getting salty about it at the time, but I don't know how much of this is really real, I, you know. It's just a way to promote strongman, to be honest with you, which is fine. Like, I'm okay with it. Don't get me wrong. But you, I, am I saying that there's nothing to the beef? I don't know. Am I saying that there, I'm deeply suspicious that a big part of this has been oversold? Yes. Someone's asking about why Ch- uh, Chael is uh, – someone says he's a sellout for UFC against fighters. You know, I don't think he sees it that way. I mean, I really disagree with some of his views on certain things. I think he sees what he did as a roadmap for other fighters to follow to maximize gains, right? Like if you do these kinds of things, you can turn and you can pull the levers of the fight game to maximize wealth. And there's something to be said for that. Like he did many of those things. It's just that um, I just think only a certain few are going to be able to take advantage of it. And then two, you need greater structural change to have greater effect at scale. 
Why do you think Overeem got half the amount he normally gets paid? Do you think it has anything to do with COVID? Uh, I don't know. He only has, uh, I talked to him on, uh, was it Monday? He only has four fights left on his deal. And he said he wants to finish out the deal. I don't know if there was a natural reduction based on the last loss that he had that hurt him. There could be like a tier structure that if you win, it escalates. If you lose, it, it drops. I'm not sure. Does Nganu have the best heavyweight resume, if only names? Even overall, no. As a contender right now, yes. What the fuck is this question? Did OSP speed up Jones at heavyweight? He seems to make it that way. But, you know, remember he teased that one fight where he's like, oh, I'm going to go after Stipe, and then he ended up fighting, who was it? I don't know, like some other light heavyweight. Like, I don't have any issue with the way Jones is handling it. In fact, I think he's handling it just right. Uh, but I don't know that, you know, this is something he's been looking to do for some time, it seems. All right, top five soccer players, who gives a shit? Looking for a good mustard, any recommendation? Yeah, anything that's not perfectly yellow. How big is Tyson versus Holyfield 3? Can I just tell you guys, I am not in on that at all. Like, dude, if Tyson wants to come back and get money, get money. If uh, he wants to come back and have, like, some kind of an exhibition, have an exhibition, don't care. I have I have zero interest in watching him fight Holyfield, who looked bad on the bag, by the way. Like, I have less than zero interest. You're asking how big it would be? Probably pretty big. And I would watch because I'm a you know hypocrite degenerate, but I don't it, not that does not move me. Do you ever question the moral decision to join the army? Well, considering I never joined the army, no. Uh, how badly are you missing barbers and cinemas? So my wife cuts my hair, uh, and we I have a like I'm friends with the lady who cuts my hair normally, so we Facetime her, and then my wife cuts my hair. Uh, she's done a pretty good job, I thought. You know, all things considered. She's only done two of these cuts. She did the other one the other day. Not bad, right? I mean, all things considered. No trend. It's not what she does, you know. That's pretty good. Um, So I miss the barbers, but less so than the cinema. Because here's the problem. At first, when the, like the stay-at-home orders hit, you know, the movies were still coming into Fandango Now or however you get your movies that the... the, the for streaming, but now they've kind of all trickled and stopped. Like, I guess Scoob is out. I'm not watching fucking Scoob. You know, and, and then the Tom Hardy Truman came out, or Capote, excuse me. Or Capone, excuse me. The Seymour Hersh is the Capote one. The, but it's getting bad reviews. So I'm like, there's just no new cinema. So really, it's not that I miss the theater, although I do. What I really miss is, like, there's nothing new. Will you risk seeing the new Nolan picture, Tenant, in the cinema? No. Better resume, John Jones or Mighty Mouse? John Jones. That is a very easy call. Do you see the same kind of potential in Sugar Sean that you do in Adesanya? Still a little early to tell, but the way in which he... If, I mean, let's see how he looks in his next fight. I think he's fighting well, who Eddie, Eddie Wineland. Let's see how he looks, because Wineland is a really interesting choice, right? Wineland is uh, experienced, but has a really unusual style. If you can beat a guy with an unusual style without too much trouble, uh, that usually sends a really good signal because it tells you that you can do something. Like, um, there are good fighters who get really tripped up. You know, good, let's say good batters who get really tripped up with the knuckleballers. You know, but like, and this is not exactly true. Even the very best ones get in trouble with the knuckleballers. But I've seen in MMA that there's been like the very, very, very best ones 
they will sometimes get like these unorthodox guys that can, you know, on occasion beat someone good, on occasion not, but then they'll just run through them. I want to see how he looks against Wineland. Wineland's got an unusual style. If Sugar Sean can like be the technical guy between them and do it in a way where he can shine and bring all the magic that he typically has to that kind of scenario, that would tell you a lot. Some sharpening stone money for the axe. All right. I work at two hospitals in Connecticut, and they're both empty. Yeah, by design. Um, they're, they're, well, this is changing slowly, but they had most hospitals had stopped any kind of elective surgeries or other kinds of typical routine procedures as a way to make space for any potential COVID surge. Some made use of that. Some didn't. But now there's a, I mean, the curve has been at least somewhat flattened, right? And now there is this question of like, can you get back to elective surgeries? I think they've started in certain places, which is probably the right call. That's how they make their money, right? You ever listen to Death Grips? Nope. Check out Segura's live chat. Yeah, it's good. Uh, Q&A, 7 p.m. on Tuesday. Best MMA gyms for boxers to cross over. I don't think there's any one particular gym. I think you have to find the right coach. Again, every week, a question about other media members. Don't have anything for you. Thoughts on Carl Jung. I've studied him briefly in college. Remember virtually nothing about it. You mentioned that you like the UK version of The Office, but dislike the US version. Why is that? Because the US version is over the top, you know. The, the, the UK version is like deft and subtle and dry humor. And the U.S. one is just, you know, a guy into it's the it's the it's the functional equivalent of a guy into a megaphone, telling you loud jokes in your fucking ear. You know, it's like it's just not the same. Not only is it not the same show, it's just not nearly as clever. And I, and I know most people will agree. They'll be like, "Oh, totally." You know, I disagree. I think the U.S. version is great. Knock yourself out. I don't think they're even remotely equivalent. Uh, I really enjoyed. Uh, Shaquille Majori's episodes of The Insider with yourself and Chuck. His interview uh, with MK's own Brian Campbell was really something special. Have you watched it? I saw part of it. I didn't get the chance to finish it. But yeah, he's doing a great job with those things. I might not do one of those again. I don't like... Um, nothing against Shaq. It's my own fault. I The next time anything I do makes news, I like it to be for some kind of work that I produce. Not like something I said you know I mean something I said as part of a project yes but not just something I said I don't I didn't like the way that felt um but I'm not blaming them we did everything fine but it's just the way I personally interpreted it all right name all cities and states and countries you have lived in from birth to 18 Ooh. Doha cut Doha cutter um New Delhi India Tokyo Japan um I think there's another one in there I'm missing. I'm not sure. There was I think there's another one I'm missing. That might live in briefly. But then it was just the United States, so Washington, D.C. Uh, let's see. Nashville, Georgia. Valdosta, Georgia. Marietta, Georgia. Uh, and then Williamsburg, Virginia. That's it. Oh, Falls Church, Virginia as well. Lived there briefly too. Uh, okay. I got to get out of here because I got to do a radio show in 30 minutes. I want to thank everyone. Let's do this. 
I want to thank everybody who watches today. Appreciate it. Um, you guys are great. I want to do another charity drive. I don't know exactly what to do yet. I've got to think of something. I'm not going to do the same thing I did before. We're going to do something else. Um, some folks have said they wanted to do a new round of merch. Thinking about it, but I don't know. I, I just don't have it. The last couple of weeks I've mentioned has been have been just absolutely batshit crazy. So, you know, we'll figure something out here for uh, the month of June. We'll probably reset there and, and figure some out some projects. You got any questions? You can email me, LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. Again, subscribe, video thumbs up. If you want to look at any of my other projects for SiriusXM, for Showtime, it's all in the description box below. I appreciate you guys accommodating me on this new time, which I will hopefully not have to go back to, but I had to today. Okay? All right. Well, thank you so much for watching. Until next time, stay frosty.